G'day, welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. This week I've got an older interview with Bob McMillan for you and the reason for that is twofold. The first is that the person I was supposed to interview bailed and the backup plan didn't work either. So I've been asked several times why Bob's on the show and where he came from. So I've dug up the first interview I did with him. It'll explain a bit about Bob's history and for those who don't know, and you'll be able to work out why he's now working with us on the show from time to time. And he's in with Nathan May for a bit of a chat and play a couple of tracks there. Also back for the news. Got a big, big show for you. We're heading into the Brisbane Truck Show. That's where we're going to be next week. More on that after. Let's get on with the show. G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers. And when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road. But when we're on the road, we're listening to the On The Road program. <laughs> G'day, guys. Andy here once again with a great new Aussie music artist. This week I'm joined by a young bloke with a huge future in the music industry if his new single just released is anything to go by. His fascination with music began at just three years of age when he started playing the drums. Now, like most youngsters, he loved music, playing footy and fishing, but struggled with his schoolwork until his teachers recommended a community studies course, which he attended through the Clontarf Foundation, an organisation which helps Indigenous kids finish school and gain employment. He went on to study at the Adelaide Centre for Aboriginal Studies in Music, earning an advanced diploma in Aboriginal Music and is now in his final year of a bachelor's degree in popular music at the Elders University. He's one of Adelaide's hardest working live performers and in early 2020 started working with the great Aussie producer James Gillard. He's co-written material with Colin Buchanan, or Bucko as we all know him, as well as multi-golden guitar winner Luke O'Shea. Away from his music, he runs mentorship programs with young Aboriginal children through the Culture is Life Suicide Prevention and the Generation of Change programs, bringing his own experiences and story of hope through music to Aboriginal children who've experienced trauma and violence. A truly amazing young man with a massive talent and a huge heart, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Mr Nathan May. G'day, Nathan. Welcome to On The Road. Thanks for dropping by for a chat, mate. No, thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me, eh? Absolute pleasure. Mate, at just three years of age, you sat behind a drum kit and it seems that was the beginning of your destiny in music. Yeah, basically, I grew up in this church and I was so fascinated about the family that was looking after me at the time. Hmm. They were all played in the church band, so... I wanted to play drums and I wanted to be around music my whole life after just learning how to play the drums. So, yeah, I was pretty fortunate to be able to do that. Right, absolutely. Now, I can hear in the background there we've got a, a young May there, have we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, he's going off. <laughs> What's his name? Connor. 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 All right. So, guys, we're listening to Nathan and Connor. <laughs> Connor's putting in his two pence worth. Yeah, he's probably not happy. He's not happy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you mentioned there about growing up in the church and so on. Tell us about the community you grew up in and how that shaped you into the Nathan May of today. Yeah, I think like growing up in Palmerston, Darwin, and growing up there, it was the community we was all pretty close, but there was a lot of things bad about the community as well, you know, mm. and with my family and, you know, alcohol abuse and drug addictions and family violence throughout the whole community also which was pretty sad. Mm. There was always that kind of fear that we weren't going to go anywhere. There was no hope for a lot of us young Aboriginal kids. Yeah. You know, and I was pretty fortunate to actually have teachers that had hope in me and that stuck with me the whole way. Yeah. There was always that path where I could have went down and it could have been the path of going down with the other guys and being locked up or even being 10 feet underground, you know, so. Yeah. I think I was pretty lucky enough to get out of that situation and 
you know, I did have great family as well around as mm. as the other family that were caught up in that other stuff. But, you know, there's a lot of people and support around that showed me a different way. And I had a lot of mentors and CFL players like Michael McQueen. And yeah, I was in a program called the Clontarf Academy. And I spent a lot of number of years in that. Yeah. You know, through primary school to high school, I had a great community around me to help me really find a way out of a road that I could have went down the wrong way, you know. Yeah. And obviously that was a, a big influence for you. Away from your music, you're heavily involved in support programs for Indigenous kids. How did you get involved with that? Yeah, well, I was pretty lucky to be able to have those programs in place in Darwin and Palmerston. Yep. I think because it was all in schools, we just had to go to school, basically. Yeah, yeah. And that was because the program was enforced in schools to keep us in school. So, you know, I finished year 12 and I was lucky enough to be in the program for a number of years. Mm. So, you know, I think it was always easy when there was a football program in the school. You always wanted to go to school. Yeah. And football was massive and it still is a big part of the territory and Darwin. Yeah. We're going to have a listen to your new single, It's Got to Start Somewhere, shortly. Yep. Mate, it's a killer song. Oh, thanks. It's, I'm very lucky enough to be able to co-write that song with a, a great country artist in Luke O'Shea and also yeah. James Gillard, who's been around the country music scene for a very long time. So Living legend, James, yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm pretty fortunate enough to even be in the presence of those guys and for them helping me out. And you say mentors, I, I got many mentors and they're two of them as well. Yeah. Well, the risk of sounding like I'm peddling in your pocket, but as soon as I started listening through the first few bars of the song, it had me totally hooked. Musically and lyrically, it's just moving and motivational. I've got to tell you, it's become my favourite new song of the year so far. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, personally, I hate it when people draw parallels between music styles and sounds, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> One of my favourite songs of all time is called Sailing to Philadelphia. It's a song recorded by James Taylor and Mark Knopfler. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, I have heard it. Yeah. Growing up and being around some Dire Straits and some James Taylor, yeah, I have heard it, yes. Yeah, well, there is something special about a well-written storytelling song and I guess that's where the similarities lie, but It's Got to Start Somewhere is so beautifully crafted and recorded. It's just beautiful, mate. Oh, thanks. Like I said, I was very lucky, you know, having the producer and James Gillard, but also have Rod McCormack play on it, you know, who's an amazing guitarist. And, oh, yeah. And just having people like that around. And Luke O'Shea, he's just got a powerful way of writing songs as well. So yeah, it's all a good contribution and to a great song, so I'm very happy it all went well. Yeah, well, I think they're probably counting their blessings that they got to work with someone with such great raw talent as well. Oh, they might be, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'll ask them and get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you please? Yeah. So, Nathan, we're well into 2023 now. What does the rest of the year hold in store for you? More live performances, I expect? Any chance of an album? Yes. All these last couple of singles I put Fix It Up out and it's got to start somewhere out on Friday and mm. these singles are off the album that they'll coming to life with the whole process of recording and getting everything all right. But, you know, we had a bit of a delay with COVID and stuff like that. Sure. So that kind of pushed us back a bit, but, you know, I was hoping to have these songs out a lot earlier. You know, I started recording most of these songs and this album in 2018, you know, so... It's been a bit of delay and I need to find the right people and I'm so glad I got to find the right people and James Gillard and all the other co-writers that have actually helped me write these songs for the album. So, yeah, yeah, the album is coming out. Good. I'd put a couple of estimate dates, like I guess at the end of the year this year or the start of next year that we will have the album ready and putting it out there. So, yeah, yeah, you can keep an eye out on that and gigs, local gigs and you know, I always do a lot of community gigs for Aboriginal organisations or community events for Aboriginal people. And sure. that's really my thing at the moment, to give back to the community and to show young Aboriginal kids, just to show any Aboriginal person and peoples that music is a big important part of our life. And, yep. you know, I, I kind of feel like I've got a role to play with putting it out there and saying that you can get up and do this too if you'd like. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. So, oh, you're doing a great yeah. job of it, mate. Now, for listeners who want to catch up with your story, your music, upcoming gigs and so on, where can they find all that information? Oh, uh, yeah, on the socials. I'm more for the socials. So if you just look up Nathan May Music on Instagram, Facebook, I'm pretty frequent on that. Right. 
my emails on there if people want to reach out as well. And, you know, I always ask people if they want to get in touch with me, they always can if they want to ask more questions and feel free. I, I like to have a chat and I like to connect with people as well. If they find songs relevant or if their story is the same, I, I really like to have chats with people just to talk about and hear other people's stories and see them. Yeah, brilliant. Well, guys, our guest this week has been the gifted storyteller, singer and all-round nice guy, Nathan May. Nathan, thanks for coming out to play on the road with us today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Let's just share your new single with our listeners right now. Would you introduce it for us, please? Well, this is Nathan May and this is my new single. It's got to start somewhere. You give me many things but you can't replace The things you lost and the things you take We need an upper D, an upper D attitude Well you help me and I help you Cause it's gotta start somewhere Great grandfather worked on the railway line Woke grandmother up from her dream time New generation shining through There's nothing in the world that love can't do As good as it was, no, we can't go back Everyone riding on this one-way track Laws and coaches, old and new It gets dark in the tunnel, but we're gonna break through Cause we gotta start somewhere Cause we gotta start somewhere a lot of things but not the truth so get on board there's no excuse we're all so busy in this crazy life but it don't take much to make things right cause we gotta start somewhere if we all live the way we should Respect each other, intentions good. Learn to live without the shame. Forgiveness now without the blame. It's gotta start somewhere. It's gotta start somewhere. Country lead the way. It's gotta start somewhere. Listen to your heart, what it has to say. It's gotta start somewhere. We need an upper D, upper D attitude. It's gotta start somewhere. But you help me and I help you. It's gotta start somewhere. Much to learn, a long way to go. It's gotta start somewhere. Together now. Here on the road, it's time for the news. Hi Mike, winter's on the way mate. Winter is on the way mate, it's arrived down here in New South Wales. They had snow just about 100k south of where I am uh, the other night. Mm. A little bit uh, little bit fresh here mate, I'm actually having to think about putting some pyjamas on. <laughs> Good. I'm sure Rose will appreciate that. I'm sure. Well, I'm not sleeping with Rose at the moment, mate. I've got the I've got the wing in a sling, and uh, I'm in sort of sleeping in the in the recliner. It's not a lot of fun. Oh, I can't lay. 
Yeah. Oh, mate. I only ever usually get to sleep in the recliner when I'm in trouble. Yeah. You know, but just lately I sort of had to go out there because it's a little bit more comfortable trying to get it up and down. Oh, man, I tell you what, I don't recommend this shoulder surgery. It's not fun. No. Mm. I've got one more to look forward to and then I'll have the pair. Oh, awesome. You go, you. <laughs> anyway, nice to have a bit of cooler weather. I've been quite happy to get the big boy pants on again. Have you? Yeah. Right. Well, with my legs, I need to cover them up anyway. Then. That's right. I've, I've seen your legs. It's <laughs> not a good thing, is it? No, not, not pretty. The most important news of the week, mate, we've officially now got King Charles Third. Oh, God save the king. What a grandiose spectacle the whole coronation was. No one can do it like the Poms, can they? No, I, I missed missed most of it. Mate, we were doing the live show on Saturday night, so unfortunately, you know, I was unable to attend, and you know, that's why I declined my invitation doing the Saturday live show. You know? He did apologise for not being able to listen in, but anyway. Yeah, well, there you go. I tell you, I was really impressed with the king, or as he was called on the day, the artist formerly known as Prince, <laughs> uh, when he said he was there to serve and not be served. Yeah, right. Equally impressed when he said he was going to send his best two helicopter pilots to the front line in the Ukraine. All right. Yeah, when they asked who these people were, what were their names, he smiled and said, Andrew and Harry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be good? Yeah, talk about a, a fun family to be in. Anyway, Mike, our friends at Scania have announced that their new C23 cab variant will be getting an extra 27 centimetres of cab length to create more comfortable space for the driver. And this is the, this is where I get to be a little bit cynical. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we've got to have at least one opportunity <laughs> in the news to do that. Twenty-three centimetres. Look, it'll make a big difference to the size of the cab. Certainly, an extra an extra foot of space because that's about what it is. Mm. It goes a long way, and obviously makes a little bit of a difference. Look, I don't mind the Scanners. I had to drive one over in New Zealand. They're quite a nice truck to drive, mm. and like all the Euro trucks, you know, they're they're quite comfortable. Uh, they just lack space in the cab. The issue that they've got with these trucks over here in Australia is our steer weight limit. And it's always the case. I mean, Scania built a beautiful truck called the Exa, which is available in Europe. They mm. brought one over here to a truck show a few truck shows ago. Beautiful thing. Bigger than the big fat cab Aerodyne and, and uh, you know, comfortable and the finish that you expect from the European trucks. Problem with it is... We don't have the steer weight limits here in Australia to allow guys to have them. So not Aussie They're not Aussie compliant. And uh, these guys are finding that with their electric trucks now, much to their disgust. But the time has come where we've got to have a little bit of a sensible look at the steer weight issues. Fatigue management for, for truckies is an important thing. You know, guys are expected to live in these trucks for you know sometimes a couple of weeks at a time. Mm. And... Uh, Look, I applaud Scania for looking at the market and seeing that they could possibly do it. They've made some changes. I think they've dropped out of a, a V8 down to a 6, or at least the, a guy I know who runs a car carrying business who's bought one of these things and taken delivery of it in a couple of weeks. I was talking to him about it earlier today. He mm. said that uh, he's looking forward to getting it. He's been a Scania man his whole life, though, so he'll be quite happy with it. Alan, how you going, mate, if you're listening? Uh, yeah, I'm talking about you. No, there, you, there you go. Mm. Well, if they gave you an extra 12 inches, you wouldn't want to use it as a rule, would you? Well, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Move on. Moving on. Mate, truckies are often the first to arrive at accident scenes on the road, and the Queensland Trucking Association have established first-on-the-scene remote incident training for truck drivers to help them to know how to manage a road crash scenario if they're first to arrive at the scene. This is vital training, this, mm. this is, because you know we are often first at the scene. I've been first at the scene a couple of times. Our friends Nola Pierce and Louise Bellardo are behind this, uh, this training uh, program. They've offered training to police forces and military forces all over the world. In fact, Nola was over in Spain the other day. I think she's in America at the moment. Uh, doing a business there. Uh, Gary Martin has been a, a great supporter of this sort of stuff in Queensland. Anyone who's interested to get onto this and have a bit of a look at it should you know, have a look at the QTA's webpage. I think there's some stuff on there. But what's included is immediate safety and scene considerations, you know, power lines, you know, dangerous goods awareness, all that sort of thing, mm. accident locations, communication tools and strategies, everything that you need to know if you're first on the scene. You can save a life. 
it's vitally important. Have a look at it and attend it and do it if you can. Absolutely. And always better to be first on the scene after an accident rather than first on the scene before it. Well, that's exactly right, yeah. Mm. And, of course, if you're driving a cab over, you're the first on the scene. We won't go into that. That's a bonnet cab over argument for, for us truckies. We, we love yeah, to get, get into that a one. a couple of seconds before everyone else. That's right, at least. Mm. Mike, in a survey commissioned by the National Road Transport Association, it's evident that the number one concern for our heavy vehicle operators is the sky-high price for diesel around Australia. Yeah. Well, costs, operating cost has got to be a concern. Our mate Warren Clark from Nat Road has organised and commissioned this work by the uh, economist Houston Kemp Economists to answer a question we all already know the answer to. <laughs> costs are going up. Diesel's only one of them. Really doesn't matter, though, what your costs are. Mm. You've got to pass it on to your customers. Mm. Perhaps Warren should do a study in the people's unwillingness to charge customers what they should be charging and getting full cost recovery. That's the answer to the problem. And there's a group of consultants who use applied psychological findings, I like that, to help workplace improvements. The Melbourne-based company says it's taking a fresh approach to address the concerning ongoing issue of driver fatigue. Psychological findings, mate. Applied psychological findings. (laughs) Psychological findings. The Wide Awake Project. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Look, this is one of these things that's been funded by the NHVR's Heavy Vehicle Safety Initiative grants, and they aim to discover a new and different way to address workplace factors. I'm a little bit cynical about all this sort of stuff, mate. Cynical number two for the day. Cynical number two for the day. They they want you to go and do this uh, do this study which they've got online. So guess what I did? I went in and did the study. Right? Mm. Went in and answered all the questions. And if they're going to try and make me believe that was aimed at truck drivers, pull the other leg because it plays jingle bells, mate. It mm. was the most absolute load of crap. Not aimed at drivers. It's aimed at people in body offices and things like that. So what they've done in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, they have taken a study from somewhere else and tried to insert it into here to try and answer some rubbish question about whether uh, stress in your workplace causes fatigue. It's utter bullshit. That's my opinion. Other Mm. people can think their own thing. Of course, if you go and do it and enter your details in and give them all their details so they can email crap to you later on, you go in the draw to win a Fitbit watch valued at 150 bucks. And Fantastic. Oh, mate, absolutely. They say that Wide Awake aims to be a systematic approach to fatigue, not just looking at the physical aspects. Well, let's face it. The longer you're awake, the more fatigue you're going to be, and that's the physical aspect, and that's that. Game over. The more we get dicked around at work, and they don't want to talk about that in the study. I wanted to get talked about, you know, being held up waiting at DCs. I don't want to talk about anything else. I don't want to talk about enforcement or any of the other issues that encounter fatigue. They just want to talk about their little things. So, I don't know, waste your time on the study if you want to. I would rather talk to someone like Greg Casey that we had on the show the other week mm-hmm. and uh, go and do his study because he's looking at the whole picture, the important stuff. That's where we should focus. Yeah. I suppose on the upside, if you get the Fitbit watch, you might be able to find out what your own applied psychological situation is at the time. Oh, I can tell you my applied psychological situation with this crap. It's unbelievable. Indeed. And Mike, in an effort to provide some certainty to the road transport industry, Australia's transport ministers are in agreement that heavy vehicle charges need to be set for a full three-year period. Yeah. You know the certainty they've said in my mind? That they're more than happy to ream the transport industry every chance they get. At least they're in agreement about it, though. Well, that's right. Old mate 10 Stevens will be rolling in his grave, you know. I reckon reckon you can almost power the country on the revolutions per second that they'd be going on there. Mm. Road user charges. It was simply road tax by another name. The difference before is that Men, men and women went to jail because they didn't pay their road tax if they couldn't get out of it in some way or another. Hmm. This is going to be a tax on distance travelled. So it's exactly what a, what the old uh, road tax was. They're all, you know, all applauding that they've been held down to a low percentage and all the rest of it. 
we're operating in businesses where the, the economists and the people that are looking at the cost of running a transport company are saying most transport companies are working on a margin of 2.5%. These guys want to impose more charges. Now, in New Zealand, they run road user charges, but they pay much, much lower registrations than we do here, and it's graduated. Mm. So, you know, depending on how many axles you run and what weights you run and all the rest of it, it depends on the road user charge. There are several issues that we've got here facing us. The first issue is so we, we run the cheapest model of road construction in the world, the spray seal method. Mm-hmm. The roads aren't up to what, we, what we're asking them to do. You've got a whole lot of competing interests here, and the transport industry is being asked to pay for the cock-ups of everyone else. We are always the cash cow, and it's always wrong. And while everyone's saying they're happy about it, why would you be happy about it? Because your members, your constituents, the people that are paying you guys to advocate for them, they're the ones that are paying the cost, so we're all getting shafted. Yeah. We're all getting shafted because of government incompetency, and yet our government is prepared to piss money up the wall when they can't even build a road. Mm. I'm off. I'm, I'm sorry, mate. I'm off. I've, I've just got off the planet. I've just. I'm just heading into the sort, sort of like subspace now. It's absolutely ridiculous. It is. Well, mate, any breaking news or any sort of news we need to stitch onto the end here? That's it, pretty much. Cool, cool. Well, thought for the week this week comes from the late, great Bob Marley. Righto. You never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's deep. That's mm. very, very deep. Hey, um... If you think about it, you know how much strength you've got yourself and what you're capable of. But if you think about, you know, if someone was trying to hurt one of your children or something, you'd suddenly have superhuman strength, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It would change your perspective uh, exponentially, I think. I believe so. Just before we go... Yeah. It's it's uh, the Brisbane Truck Show next weekend. It is. And I'm going to be heading up to Brisbane... Mm-hmm. On uh, on Tuesday, I'm going to be making a stop over at a friend's place on the way up on Tuesday evening. But I'll be in Brisbane on uh, on Wednesday for the whole week. And any of the listeners that want to will be able to catch up with me at the Brisbane Truck Show. I'll be the bloke walking around with me arm in a sling. We've got really, really, really massive breaking news to happen to be announced at the truck show. Mm. Um, let's put it this way. I've got a new business card. Mm. And it's it's all going to be there to be talked about. I will be hanging around up at the Plough Inn with uh, my friends from NTI, and uh, Yogi Kendall, my partner in the radio station, and that will be at the next journey uh, stand, and he'll be there talking with those brilliant bags, and it's going to be quite interesting. Uh, you're going to be coming up for a bit of a visit, aren't you, mate? I am indeed, mate. I have my press pass ready to rock and roll. And, uh, you know, it'll be quite interesting. Um, we might be able to sit down and have a quiet dram together quietly there in the afternoon. We might sort of sneak that one in. Well, we might have to, mate, because this has been brewing now for the last nearly three years and it still hasn't <laughs> happened, so I'm getting a bit of a thirst. Well, the, the thing about it is, is we're telegraphing it a little bit now. The truck show's on. We don't have the COVID insanity to deal with we had last time. Thank goodness. Thank yeah. goodness for that. And uh, we're going to get up there and have a bit of a look. I've been having a bit of a look around the map. and yeah, It's just going to be quite incredible. Queensland Rail are going to be sponsoring me for one day there. I'm going to have to wear a Queensland Rail hat. I asked them if it was a Casey Jones Casey hat, Jones and they said, hat. no, yeah. no, it's not going to be a crazy. And I said, what, a, well, what about a fat controller outfit? And they said, oh, no, 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 you can't have that either. Don't make them big enough, no. No, they don't make them big enough. <laughs> but uh, no, no, uh, yeah, Lauren and all the guys at uh, at Queensland Rail are very, very excited. So uh, mm, there you go. It's all going to be on. See you there. Come up and say good day to us, guys. It'd be yeah, nice to meet you. You'll, uh, you'll see me there. I'll either have a Queensland Rail hat on or I'll have a on-the-road podcast hat on or on-the-road radio hat on or, or maybe another hat on. We'll see how we do. <laughs> <laughs> you need more heads. I do. Well, I've already, I'm a Tasmanian, mate. I've had two, but I had the good-looking one cut off. Well, you can still see the scar where it was. 
Look forward to seeing you, mate. You too, bud. Take care. Uru. April 1979 and a cast of thousands of disillusioned truckies were making history, setting up a series of blockades the likes of which had never been seen before and most likely will never be seen again. Led by Ted Greenog Stevens and a small band of dedicated individuals, this massive wave of protest against unreasonable working conditions, unfair pay rates and unjust laws spread like wildfire from its home base atop Razorback Mountain. Razorback, The Real Story is the book written by Ted Stevens that chronicles the dramatic days of the blockade, the battles with politicians and the media, and that time in history when truckies around the country united in a powerful force and said, enough. Razorback, The Real Story has now been made into a beautifully produced audiobook, available for purchase at ontheroadradio.com.au. Whatever you do, don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to discover all the facts and details of the Australian trucking legend that is simply known as Razorback. Today, I've got a bloke who rang me up to take me to Tarasco for a headline on something I'd written and was printed in big rigs. That's the reason why I put my name and phone number and everything on there so people can ring me up. Well, lo and behold, Bob McMillan's rung me up. Now, Bob is a legend in the industry. He's been around forever. Sadly, I don't think he's driving anymore. We'll find out a bit more of that shortly. But he's a familiar name amongst the older generation. Had a long career as an owner-driver and a beloved member of the industry. I am so proud that the man has decided to come on and have a quick chat with us here today. Welcome to the show, Bob. Yeah, thank you. Look, I probably want to kick off with what are your earliest memories of the trucking, mate? Probably my earliest memories of trucking and my grandfather's log trucks working in the Hastings Valley around Warhope in New South Wales. My grandfather was a very well-known sawmiller in the Hastings Valley and he had an NR Mac that he bought ex-army after the Second World War. Wow. Repowered it with a Rolls-Royce and then he had a couple of Leyland Super Hippos and I used to go up the bush with Pop. And then when I was about five years old, we moved down to Mount Druitt on the Great Western Highway where my dad established a retail timber yard for the family company. And of course, all you saw all day was Foden's and Commas and Internationals, Mm. some early Macs running up and down with gravel and sand and fuel. You know, um, I've forgotten his name. Now the fellow in Penrith had had all the green trucks taking the beer and everything out. It was uh, Bill Chapman. Yeah, W.L. Chapman, he was called. You know, there was just so much going on, and I just fell in love with trucks there and then. Yeah, well, it's a great industry. It's been good to me, and I think it's certainly been good to you. But yes. When you haven't just confined yourself to driving, you're one of the guys that helped kick off owner-driver back in the day, you and several others, and various contributions to the politics. I mean, the industry's been the love of your life, really, hasn't it, Bob? Yes, it has been, Mike. I got involved in some of the politics and I've always probably been a little bit outspoken, but I got involved in trying to contribute to making the industry and the world a better place because of some hardship and some tragedy I went through, well, myself and my former wife went through together and the way people gathered around us and responded to it and just felt like the only way I could show my real appreciation was to try and make things better for a while. So I got invited to be involved in lots of different things and the offers that were made to me that I thought were worthwhile, I accepted. Yeah. So when you started writing for Owner Driver, and you were writing about the issues that were important back then. Yes. My suspicion has always been that some of those issues are still out there today that have never been properly dealt with. What do you think about that? You're spot on. That's probably why I no longer write columns for magazines or for anyone else. I still have a bit to say from time to time, as I did when I called you the other day, because I still have strong opinions. Mm. But after a while, you realise that there's only so many different ways you can deal with or talk about the same problem. Yeah. If no one's taking any action, it makes you wonder whether they're even listening. Yeah. You sort of do start to think you're banging your head against the wall when we've had driver licensing and training reform on the back burner for like 20 years. Yeah, well, I think it was item number three in the log of claims for the 1979 blockade was that we sought to have uniform laws and regulations across Australia for road transport, Hmm. and we still don't have them. No, we still don't. Dead right. 
I suppose that takes us to the article that I wrote, which has only just been published, yeah. about why Western Australia isn't a part of the heavy vehicle national law NHVR thing. And my editor, God love him, put on there that it was the biggest elephant in the room. You seem to think that there are other elephants in the room. <laughs> How many elephants are there? <laughs> I'll cut straight to the chase, Mike. I think your editor identified the wrong elephant. <laughs> there are several, though, Bob. Yes, there are. But I was always brought up to understand and act on the premise that if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. Yep. As far as I'm concerned, what Western Australia and therefore the Northern Territory, because they have similar ways of dealing with things, I think their systems ain't broke, so they don't need fixing. Yeah. So I think the elephant is the eastern states and the central states and Canberra itself trying to impose their onerous rules and view of things on something that already works. Yeah. And that's why I say your editor, you know, and God bless him, we probably didn't mean anything by it. <laughs> but the eastern states certainly see the bureaucracies I'm talking about, not the industry. Yeah. But the bureaucracy in the eastern states obviously see WA and Northern Territory as the elephant in the room because they won't change their way of thinking. But what the eastern states need to realise is that they are the elephant in the room because they don't understand when something works, you don't muck around with it. Yeah, well, we've just had a great big look at the heavy vehicle national law and the NHVR came out with a few recommendations. They wanted to change a few things and everyone howled them down and they backpedalled fairly swiftly on it. <laughs> yeah, well, part of that was the NTC trying to get involved in imposing European driving hours laws in a country the size of Australia with a totally different economic and geographical makeup. So I think the first thing we ought to do if you want to make some progress is ban overseas study tours. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We could save a few dollars in the process. I think we probably could. <laughs> I had a bit of a chat with Glenn Stirl there the other week and we were talking about how things went with the inquiry that he ran and yeah. I said that I thought that we could do with a bit of an injection of the West Coast on the East Coast and he agreed with me, reckon I've finally seen the light. Okay. He will be one of those people that will be moving in that direction if he gets the opportunity down the track. I don't think he'd be wrong, do you? No, I don't. And the thing about you know, going back to that headline, Mike, mm. you hit some very good points with your article. Mm. The headline sort of detracted from it a little bit. <laughs> well, I did ring the editor up and say to him that Bob McMillan said that you probably got the headline wrong. And he said, give him your phone number, he can tell me himself. Well, he's, he's welcome to give me a call. My number's public. <laughs> and there's thousands of people that know it. So <laughs> I'm happy to talk to anyone, mate. I got involved with a lot of people in high places when I was involved in the industry politics. Yeah. We're all just human beings with a set of beliefs and passions and democracy allows us to deal with. Yeah, no, I don't think he was in any way serious, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mind if he was. I, I can get pretty intense self. <laughs> uh, just wildly amusing to me, that's all. You probably found my call amusing, but that's fine. Well, I found your call a surprise because it's one of those things, as you said when you wrote you believe that the people who write the pieces of the articles for the magazines and various industry pieces or stand up and say something about it really do have a responsibility to take ownership of it and give people a chance to respond. And that's why I put my contact information on the stories. I enjoy having the conversations and I don't mind defending my point of view and sometimes I've even changed my mind after I've spoken to people. So, no, Well, that's all fair because we can't all be right about everything mm. and there's lots of different opinions out there and lots of different research being done. But it's uh, been a pet peeve of me that some people have come along and not identified themselves. I, like, I even had my signature on everything I wrote. Yep. A few people sort of warned me about that and I said, well, it doesn't matter. They're not going to have access to my checkbooks or my bank accounts or anything else. No. I just want them to know that I really believe in what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm. That's the thing. I've had people come back and say to me, you know, they agree or they, they don't agree, and we've had some great conversations about it. And I, and I love that back and forth because it gives us an opportunity to expand what we know. And as you say, none of us know everything. Oh, well, you know, the late Ted Stevens and I were great mates. Yeah. And we often agreed to disagree, yeah. but it didn't stop us having a beer and appreciating. And I managed to get down to see Ted only a couple of weeks before he passed away. And, mm. you know, he more or less pleaded with me to come and see him because we just, you know, we just had such a great mutual respect for each other, even though we often thought and acted in different directions. Yeah, well, I never, ever had the opportunity to meet Ted. But you're poorer for not meeting him. I have met a few of the others, though. Yeah. Worked with Barry Grimson here for a while. I'm going back to work with Barry very shortly. Barry's a great man and he's a credit to himself and all he's tried to do with his life and achieve. Yeah. As far as legends go, there's no shortage of them. 
all those five fellows that were on top of Razorback, as far as I'm concerned, they're the leaders of the pack. Well, they did do what they said they were going to do and made some changes. I suppose that's the most important thing. Yes, they carried it out, and I will not listen to anyone who says that they didn't achieve anything because they achieved a great deal. Yeah. And every protest I've ever been involved in and every protest I've ever read about or studied never, ever achieved all of its aims. No, that's right. As far as I'm concerned, Razorback achieved enough of its aims and made enough of a difference over a long enough period of time to be considered as one of the best things that ever happened to this industry. No argument out of me on that. Good on you. We'll just take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We'll come right back, and I want to talk to you about something else I wrote about whether the mateship's gone in the industry or not, and we'll see what you've got to say about that. Okay. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. I'm back with Bob McMillan, icon of the industry. I know you probably get sick of being called that, mate, but you've trodden some pretty wild roads in your day and you've been called part of the fabric of the industry yourself. How do you feel about that sort of thing? Oh, well, I don't dwell on it a lot, Mike. I've certainly been recognised as an icon of the industry by the Road Transport Hall of Fame, but my reaction is there's a lot of other people out there who probably deserved an award like that before I ever did. Mm. The main issue is that I feel totally privileged and entirely grateful that I've been part of a great industry for all these years with so many great memories to look back on and to have been able to and still able to call so many great people mates. Yeah. And that's men and women, not just blokes. Yeah, well, that's right. And funnily enough, I've got a few old mates that I've known for years and you might not have seen each other for six months or something like that, but you can get back and sit down the road as you run into each other and you can talk it was like you were talking yesterday. You're right. One of the things that hit me right between the eyes, I was totally shocked at Alice Springs in 2018 because I didn't expect it. I had no prior notice. Mm. One of the things that sort of hit me up the guts was that I had some dear mates, some that had recently passed, mm. some that had passed well before, and one of them being Ted Stevens and other names I could mention, who I wished had been able to be there to share in it with me because mm. that was what I missed. Yeah, Family and mates that couldn't be with me, and I wish they could have been. Well, hopefully we're going to look forward to seeing another get-together soon. Obviously, the events of the last couple of years have buggered a lot of things up. So, Well, there was 110 of us there for the induction ceremony last August. Mm. I hope there's 110,000 of us or 10,000 of us that can be there this year, Yeah, God willing. Well, you sent me a link to a YouTube clip with pictures, and that was a bit of you and another fellow... I can't even... Dean Croak. Dean Croak talking, that's right. Yes. And obviously his beautiful peak there at the end. But there was a great swag of photographs of things that you've taken across the industry. And I'll include the link to that in the show notes for the listeners so they can go and have a look at it themselves. Okay. But we're talking about company colours and how things have changed over the years. I mean, obviously things do change. We can't stay where we are. But I remember, you know, you would see a truck coming towards you and you would pick the colours and you'd know who it was before you could ever read the writing on the door. That's changed a lot now. Everyone's just running around with plain white. A lot of the characters got all going, I think, from the industry. Do you think that? Yes, I do. I will mention, though, that there's two great companies and one is still in virtually its original form. The other's now a public company that you can identify their trucks coming straight towards you. One is Lindsay Brothers and the other's Collins is from Adelaide. Yeah. And I think it's a great credit to them that even though John Collins has changed his colour scheme to a more practical one these days, Lindsay's are obviously gone from Lindsay Brothers to Lindsay Transport. Look, I think a lot of that sort of thing died with the fellas that were part of it all, like the late Horry Rutledge and Nev Greentree. They were credited by people I knew and worked for with actually creating the colour schemes of the trucks that they lined and scrolled and sign wrote. Yeah. So it was an art that died with the people who practised it, unfortunately. 
Yeah, there are a few of them still around, like the guys from Emerald that cart the fuel. Oh, yes, the Halox. Yes, they beats a credit to them. Yeah, obviously, you Wickham's have still got their signature paint job. Yeah, well, I just quoted Lindsay's and Collins's as two examples. Yeah, no, I, I'm hearing you. Peter Gilbert and ABC and Adelaide and even White Line, yeah. my friends Bob and Sharon, and even Les and Judy Blenner with their fleet. They've got very identifiable sort of off-white fleet. And then another fellow who actually bought me out, Ethan and Natasha, the loaning with their company, Rushway, very identifiable, even though they're white trucks. They've got just a nice amount of bling on them and a, a particular style of sign writing and lining and scrolling that certainly lights them up. The other thing, I suppose, is that there are a few big names that have gone by the wayside over the years as well. I remember back when I first started, the SARs and Quickasair and the Comets and the TNTs and all those sort of things yeah. shifted sideways, been absorbed or just gone out of business altogether. Yeah, a lot of them became part of corporate takeovers and everything else. Mm. But if you look back, it's two years since I retired now, and I still consider myself part of the industry. Mm. But I look back on over 57 years and say, well, there's two things that happened as far as that sort of thing goes. One is that there was a lot of corporate takeovers and people who did very nicely out of selling out. Mm. And there was a lot of people that came along and tried to get two and two to make seven. <laughs> but it was never going to, so it never did. Yeah. Well, I suppose the first bloke that springs to mind about getting out and making a comeback Ron Finnamore certainly went away and did a few other things and got into his horses, yeah. and now he's back with a substantial fleet again. Yes, yeah, well, he's not the only one that's come back from the ashes of disappointment. <laughs> There's been a few of those. Yeah, I could rattle a few off there, but I think sometimes people need to find out what hardship's all about before they can understand what success is all about. That's true too, mate. I had a lot of dry gullies I had to find a way out of to go for as long as I did, Mike. And I was grateful to always have someone that could give me a bit of a hand up. Yeah, well, no one gets out of it unscathed, I don't think. No, they don't. I had five at one stage and one of my drivers had a crash and it was not his fault. Yeah. It was gut-wrenching to have to go through it. Yeah. Luckily, no one was seriously injured or anything like that, but it was just one of the most trying things that ever happened to me. But you can't be in the game without the knowledge that something like that can happen either, so... No, you can't. You have to be aware. Mm. Yeah. Seems to catch a few people by surprise, though, when something bad happens, I think, sometimes. So. Well, you know, trouble always comes at the wrong time. Mm. It can come at the worst time for some people and not quite the worst time for others. Yeah. Ages ago, I, I wrote a piece, you know, talking about Barry Grimson. We were sitting down, we were having a chat one day over a cuppa, and as he's prone to do... And we are talking about mateship and, and how things have changed. And I know you've got a very firm opinion about the way things go in the industry and everything. Barry sort of thinks that things have changed a bit, obviously. You know, there are a number of factors just inside the industry that have driven change as far as drivers having time to stop and give each other a hand and things. But you think it's a wider issue rather than just trucks. Yeah. We're just representative of everything else. Is that what you said to me, Ron? Yeah, it is, Mike, yes. I love being a part of this industry and you know, I value the great friendships and mateship that I've experienced and still experience. But the sad reflection of it is that what happens in our industry as far as behaviour and attitudes go, and it's from the top of the tree right down to the bloke that's going to buy his first truck tomorrow or the bloke that's going to get his first articulated or long-distance job tomorrow. Yeah. It's a reflection of society, of what's happening in society, of what's happening in the greater community. Because some people's attitudes and behaviour does change. It's dynamic. It doesn't stay the same. And all us blokes that came into the industry in the 60s like I did, and there's still a couple around that came in the 50s and the 70s, we grew up in a society that was grateful to have peace again after two world wars and a Great Depression. Mm. And so friendship, mateship and comradeship was valued. And we're all in a hurry. We're all trying to get there at the quickest time possible, but we weren't in too much of a hurry to help a mate who was in trouble yeah. or see someone get out of trouble who was in it. The world's become much more urgent and placey place. You talk about the mateship lost in road transport, well, you can talk to miners and you can talk to all sorts of people in society who will say the same thing. Yeah, I don't dispute that. I think you're pretty right as far as that goes. Yeah, well, I just think it's a reflection of the way society's gone, not just the industry itself. Yeah. Mm. There have been some changes in the industry, mate. Obviously, when you first started, we didn't have speed-limited trucks and because you didn't have the horsepower back then either, but <laughs> now we're just driving great big cars, a lot of us, and... The technology that's in the truck, I mean, I've just come back from working in the Pilbara with a couple of cameras on you and a couple of cameras out the front and tracking and electronic log books and all that sort of stuff. 
What do you think about that? I mean, you're out of the game now. You can afford to be candid, Bob. Good or bad? Uh, it's a bit hard. I can be in two minds about all of it some days, Mike, yeah. depending on what mood I'm in, I think. But back in the 60s when you're in a phone box at Tarkata or Holbrook or somewhere and someone had superglued two Bob coins into it, <laughs> it was a bit hard to imagine that we'd have our own telephones in our shirt pocket and be able to ring anyone in the world. Yeah. If someone had told you that was going to happen, you'd have thought, well, he's on some pretty good gear. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's probably gone a bit too far. Yeah. My mate Dean Craig, we've done four videos together altogether. Yeah. You can see the strengths and weaknesses of electronic work diaries in America. I hope they never become mandatory. I hope they're just a matter of choice. And I'm sure that big companies that have got their schedules and their internal insurance arrangements and everything worked out and they go down that path will. Mm. But I look back on my years as an owner-driver and if I couldn't have been as flexible as I was able to be, I think I'd have suffered financial penalties that were very difficult to deal with. Yeah, that's part of it, isn't it? These days with the cameras and that, I know that there are blokes that push themselves that little bit further to get past that camera because they know that if they don't, it'll bugger tomorrow up. I think they've gone too far. You've only got to think about the fact that New South Wales spends somewhere between 9 and $19 million a year sending these explain letters out to people that exceeded the time between two cameras too quickly, particularly between Broken Hill and Bogabilla. Mm. And they've got nothing in place like an e-tag or anything to identify two up teams or people on BFM or AFM. Well, just on that, I mean, I've got to please explain one day, my missus and I, we ran the paddock for three and a half years. Yeah. And I got to please explain for going through a camera when we were driving two up on BFM. And I mean, you, you've really got to try hard to bugger it up if you're doing that. That's right. <laughs> that was just a waste of time. I got a number of them because it was on BFM and they had no way of identifying it. Yeah. So they've gone a long way with it all, and you could possibly think they've gone too far, but there needs to be a few checks and balances. Especially as an owner-driver, I found it quite frustrating to have to come home and tear out four logbook sheets and reprint my certificate <laughs> and get a priority-paid envelope because the mail was in the mailbox for six days before I got home from Perth. Yep. Just went on and on. And uh, I made a phone call, actually, to the RMS and suggested they ought to find someone to have entered an e-tag and they said, oh, no, that'd be no good. They'd be too open to corruption. I thought, well, how corrupt do you want to get? <laughs> yeah. They're already pretty corrupt, in my view, spending all that taxpayer money to uh, bolster up an inept system. Let's not start on the bureaucracy of getting a permit in New South Wales then, mate. <laughs> that was the thing about road tax, mate. The last year of road tax, they collected $8.4 million in New South Wales. Yeah. And it cost them $12.6 million to collect it. Yeah. Wonderful, isn't it? Ted Stevens and the boys and all the people who supported them, like myself, we did the New South Wales Treasury a great favour. Well, all the state treasuries, to be honest. I don't think Nifty saw it that way, though. No. No, Joe Bielke-Peterson did, though. Did he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was the first to agree to drop road tax, and um, he virtually thanked us for it. Yeah, I'm sure. I had some great yarns with poor old Joe. <laughs> I remember watching him on TV with Yana and telling her, don't you worry about that, Yana. <laughs> yeah, we're not all tropped up here in Queensland. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> uh, some of his licked the toads, mate. I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it's all part of history. And, and that's the thing that, you know, to go back to your question about my involvement in the industry, I just think it's a great privilege to have been a part of so much history mm. and to be involved in it and to know quite well a lot of the people that were and have been. Well, I'll tell you what, mate, it's a great privilege for me to have a chat with you and I'm so pleased you agreed to come on and thanks for ringing me. If you feel as though I need jerking into gear down the track, don't be afraid to let me know. Yeah, well, you can tell your editor that I called you because I didn't have his number. <laughs> With the greatest respect, Mike. <laughs> With the greatest respect, I'll certainly pass that on, mate. Take care of yourself, Bob. Thanks for being on the show. It's been fun. Thank you. Good on you, mate. You have a great day up there in North Queensland. Enjoy the weather. I live in paradise, a beautiful town called Cardwell. You certainly do. Lovely place. Oh, look me up up here if you're up this way. I certainly will, mate. No worries. Okay, then. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, mate. Take care. See you, mate. Well, that was Bob McMillan, inductee as an icon of the industry in the Hall of Fame. What a great bloke. I thank him so much for being on the show. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. Hi there, this is Bob McMillan. Mike and the boys had a very interesting um, guest, a fellow by the name of Greg Casey. 
a former highway patrol officer who worked in southwestern Sydney as a uh, general duties for about three years and then went on to be a highway patrol cop and um, spent a fair bit of time on the him and down around Wagga and places like that. A very interesting man who's now retired from the force and busy doing a thesis for his PhD on policing. But the aspect of policing that he's concentrating on is uh, fatigue for for drivers, Um, heavy vehicle drivers, of course, but other drivers suffer from fatigue issues too, but they're not regulated like we are. Anyway, I was uh, very interested to hear what Greg had to say and I phoned in and, um, as you can, to the uh, live shows on uh, on the road radio. The question I asked was uh, if he intended to uh, do comparisons between the flexibility and um, relaxed approach that works so well in Western Australia and also the Northern Territory compared to the uh, adversarial approach taken by um, the authorities on the east, in the eastern half of the country. And uh, Greg uh, responded uh, in an interesting way and talked about... Uh, the types of enforcement that went on when he, he was in the force and obviously still are. And he was, uh, without saying so, he was referring to what we've always thought about as a quota system for the officers. And it would appear that uh, these days there, there's two types of officers, those who would sort of think that the number of infringements they write out uh, make a bigger difference than anything else and those that realise that uh, it takes a bit more to uh, ensure compliance than just writing out tickets. I read some of that between the lines. But anyway... The point of this, the point of something to talk about today, his discussion reminded me of an email that uh, Rod Hanafy got from a former task force officer in South Australia, Daryl Foyle, who I uh, engaged with on a couple of occasions, um, not so badly. And uh, it's refreshing to see with the email that, that Rod got and I've seen and uh, to hear Greg the other night, that these people have come out of the force and they want to try and make a positive difference to making both the policing or the the management of compliance better, uh, as well as seeing our side of the industry do better. I don't think anyone who wants to be a responsible professional and decent could object to any of that. I can only encourage everyone to uh, follow the prompts that Mike gives on... um, the uh, replay of the Wednesday night live session that you can uh, listen to on our podcast app here and get in touch with Greg if you feel you've got something to offer or uh, contribute to his thesis making a difference. I know uh, it's easy to uh, sit here and think and probably a first uh, impression from a lot of people would be, oh, not another report, not another investigation. Well, I'm hoping and at the same time wondering if a, a thesis for a PhD that's hopefully put into the public domain, might be a little bit more effective and a little bit more easy to take notice of than a Senate inquiry with all those people who uh, contribute that have got nothing to do with the industry or have never experienced trucking or probably haven't even experienced travelling the Nullarbor by road because they're always flying about in aeroplanes. You're helping the economy in that way. But anyway, uh, this is an opportunity for those of us who have uh, done the hard yards and who can talk about it and who have an opinion about it and who wish to be honest because uh, we'll probably have to tell him some of the things that uh, we would never have told him when he had a police uniform on uh, in order for the right answers to come out. You have to tell the truth so that the questions can have the honest answers. Anyway, I can only encourage anyone who uh, is listening who is interested to uh, get in touch with Greg through the links that uh, Mike is going to share with us all. I've uh, offered to uh, contribute and participate, as I always try to do, and um, in some ways it's a privilege to be still fit and well enough and uh, lucid enough to be able to do so. Look after Greg and help him out, and uh, hopefully it'll all come back to uh, improve things for us all. We can only hope so because Trevor Warner's... uh, application for his advanced fatigue seems to have fallen on deaf ears all because of uh, some of the adversarial behaviour uh, of the uh, the NTC and the NHVAS and also the uh, the adversarial nature of the uh, east, eastern half of Australia's approach to fatigue management doesn't just sit with the police officers or the inspectors on the right side of the road or uh, when they come to visit a premises. It sits from the very top down because the NTC are... Uh, are the ones that are uh, enforcing their uh, wishes and their thoughts and their their misunderstandings on us all, those of us that have to obey the laws and those of us who are there to uh, to enforce them. So it's time for change. Please be involved. Thanks for listening. Let's talk about
number one You're supposed to have it all together And when they ask how you're doing Just smile and tell them Never better We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, G'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On The Road podcasts every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. Here's our featured music artist for this week, back with one of his original songs, guaranteed to get toes tapping everywhere. It's Nathan May with Fix It Up.
Proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. 